Somebody say praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It is an awesome privilege to be in the house of God. I'd so much rather be here than in the best hospital in this county. <laughs> Amen. God has been exceptionally good to me, and, and uh, you are a wonderful, wonderful church. Uh, I conclude with the Apostle Paul talking about one of the church, I think it was the Philippians, and he said, your faith is known all over the world practically, and I got to tell you, <clears throat> your faith and your worship is known all over Arkansas and beyond. You are wonderful, wonderful saints of God. And I appreciate the fact that you have taken care of my baby sister and her husband and uh, <clears throat> their, their family. And, and uh, I appreciate the fact that they love you and that God's doing awesome things in this place. We are at a very crucial point in history, and uh, I'm getting old enough that I'm not nearly so interested in preaching you a sermon as I am seeing the manifest presence of God. I, uh, I'll tell you where I'm going before I even start, in case I don't get there. <clears throat> but the point of what I want to say to you today is this. The only way you're going to defeat the devil is have more power of God in your life. And power of God is not always related to emotion. And we are an emotional people. And I, I love the emotion of God. I love it when I am melted, broken. I'm laughing and crying at the same time. And I want to shout and run and do somersaults. And at the same time, want to bawl my eyes out. Because he loves me. <clears throat> and that's where I want to go. Uh, just in case we don't get there. Praise God. I'm going to ask you to stand again and uh, turn around somebody near you and just give them the biggest old grin <clears throat> and tell them again, Jesus loves you and I don't know why. <laughs> Praise God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. While you are standing, I will bring you just a few verses of Scripture. I will uh, bring some more, perhaps, uh, through this. But it is indeed a privilege, a pleasure for, uh, for Alicia and me to be with you all today. And uh, I, I have that confidence in my heart that before we walk out of here, God is going to touch your life. And I pray that in the in the first session, we can set the tone for uh, the receiving of the communion and uh, <clears throat> for the start of a brand new year. Praise God. I want to take you to Psalm chapter 62 and uh, verse 11. God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. I want you to get that. Twice, or God hath spoken once, twice have I heard this, that power belongeth unto God. There are four immediate uh, expressions of power. One is the power to make, 
Another is the power to mold or to shape that which is made. The third degree of power, a third element of power, is to move, move it out of the way. And the fourth is to maintain, and that's to keep you in the heat of the battle. But power belongs to God. Then, if you would, in uh, Psalm 67, I believe, 66, verse 7, he ruleth by his power forever. His eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Selah. One more time, say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me, speak through me. Have no greater desire than that I would be the oracle of God to your people. And I praise you now in Jesus' name. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. It is, uh, again, it is my honor to, uh, to be in this pulpit. And I have the deepest respect for your pastor and, and, uh, uh, and, and family and Brother Jason, your pastor and um, his family and the family of God. So I'm going to talk to you a little bit this morning. First of all, I want you to understand you are made in the very image of God. You understand that? The Bible talks about the first man, Adam, and said that he was made in the image of the second man, Adam. In other words, God had an image in mind for what God's manifest being would look like, and you're it. Okay? And so when Adam was made, he was made in the very image of God. And that's what man would understand, that when God comes to earth, that's what he's going to look like. He would have two legs, two arms, he'd have a head, and all of that. And so God created man, put him in the garden. And that man had the image of God and the nature of God. Let me move aside just quickly enough to tell you that when the devil looks at you, he hates you just by looking at you because you remind him of what God looks like. And that's why when the devil gets a hold of people, they want to maim and mar the image. Okay, can I be a little bit more blunt with that? I'm going to tell you, tattoos and piercings is a spiritual issue. And the further the devil gets a hold of people, the more he, he twists the reflection of what God looks like. But when you look like God, it's, no, it's, no, uh, uh, it's a no-brainer. The devil hates you when he sees you. And so you are the object of his wrath. And he is always trying to destroy you. Don't think for a minute that any one of us are immune to the attacking of our enemy. We know the story how the, with Adam and Eve, uh, through transgression you know, they, and deception, they fail in the garden. Something changed in them. They no longer could see the invisible. Because there is a real, spiritual, invisible world. And you live and you breathe in that. We know that a third of the devils, the angels, fell with the devil. And they became his army. 
very organized, very, uh, uh, very committed to his purpose. And his purpose is to destroy the image of God and the plan of God and the hope of the world. Amen. How many of you are glad you read the back of the book? How many of you are glad you know who wins? <clears throat> but something happened there so that when Adam and Eve walked out of the garden, they had the image of God, but they had the nature of Satan. I, don't, I didn't say the spirit of Satan. They had the nature of Satan. Let me tell you what the nature of Satan is. It's the fallen nature of humanity. All right? It's the nature that draws back from God. It's the nature that's self-willed. It's the nature that lies, that steals, that lusts, that wants to cut me the slack. It's the nature that that man always has. It's the nature that begins with rebellion against God's authority. And I'm telling you, the grace of God will cover about every sin you can imagine. But rebellion, there's no grace for that. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. Is that all right? And so they had the image of God, the nature of Satan, and the only thing they had to resist the power of Satan was a conscience. Understand that? That's why, ladies and gentlemen, if you don't have the Holy Ghost and you don't stay full of the Holy Ghost, you have nothing. If the only thing you have is your conscience to resist the evil of the world, you are in trouble. You have no idea where the devil will catch you, where he'll get you in a weak moment, and he'll find a chink in your armor, and you will fulfill the will of the devil and wake up tomorrow and say, what in the world have I done? because the devil wants to destroy is that all right but understand there is a power that is greater than the power of the devil now the devil doesn't mind if you think that God can do a little more than you can do but not much and somehow he puts that in us well God can do a little bit more than I can do but not much uh, God's a little bit stronger than the devil, but not much. But I want to tell somebody, there is absolutely no way that a church that is anointed with the power of God and full of the Holy Ghost and the understanding of the Word of God, let me tell you, you cannot have perfect dominion over the devil without a clear understanding of and submission to the Word of God. I don't care how emotional you get. I don't care how long you talk in tongues or how high you shout or how fast you run. If your life is not in obedience to the Word of God, you have limited your power and you have given the devil access to you and you wonder why that people commit, that go on a mad rampage and, 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 and go through a mall and kill tens of people, go into a school and just go blank shooting or have road rage and kill people. People, I'll tell you what it is. The nature of Satan in them could not resist the power of Satan in them. And the devil got a hold of them for a moment. And they did things that scarred their lives forever. And that's what the devil wants to do to you. Somebody said, bless him, Jesus. Now, having said that, 
understand that it is the will of God for you to know God. There is, I, I, there's a phrase, we, we, I'm sure you are reading and fasting and all of that, and, and I, I say it everywhere I go, so I'm going to say it again, but Alicia and I have for the last several years, we are perpetually reading this book through. And I don't say this to brag, but I say it to encourage you. When we get up in the morning after we've had a cup or two of coffee to get woke up, we take that Bible and we read it out loud. And we look at it and we discuss it. And after we have read it a while, then we begin to pray. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. You need to read that word out loud. And you need to get it till it's deep in your heart. And then when you pray, if you don't have an understanding of the word of God, you can't pray powerfully. You can't pray correctly. You can't pray with authority if you don't understand the word of God. But there is a phrase that I have heard and, and a phrase that I have read over and over. And this time reading through, it jumped out at me like I have never seen it before. And it's the phrase that the Lord is saying through the prophet and through various prophets, that ye may know that I am the Lord your God. Interestingly enough, there's one place he said that the heathen may know that I am the Lord your God. When he was talking about judgment, he said that you may, no, he didn't say it like that. He said, you will know that I am the Lord. Ladies and gentlemen, he is your Lord in this house. He gives you breath. He rules the world. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He rules your life. He's already determined your last breath and when it will be. He already knows whether you're going to serve him in the time of battle or not. He knows whether you're going to fail in the time of duress. He has prayed for you, not that you won't fail, but that your faith fail not. But if you don't have a perfect understanding of the word of God and the relationship of that word to your faith, you can't pray with perfect faith. So he's your Lord. Like it, lump it, you can't change it. He's the Lord of the wicked. He's the Lord of the king and of the governor. And he's the Lord of every ruler in the world. Every man, great and small. He is Lord over all. I have read the back of the book. Matter of fact, I'm about two chapters, Alicia and I, from finishing Revelation to start in Genesis on the next morning. I have found that he will stand, hallelujah, upon the earth, that he will rule all nations with a rod of iron, that he is king triumphant. He has already won victory. But he's not everybody's God. And what he would really like to be is not only your Lord, but he'd like to be your God. He'd love to be the one you worship. He would love to be the one you idolize. He would love to be the one that you delight yourself in him. He'd love to be your healer. He'd love to be your redeemer. He'd love to be your comfort. He'd love to be that peace that passeth understanding. He'd love to be that calm in the midst of the storm. He'd love to be that warmth in, in the cold whole world. He loves you. I was praying about all of this. Uh, if you'll allow me to, to be real carnal without 
without naming names, in the little town where we live, there is on one corner, there is a, an old mainline denominal church. Across a little narrow street that leads up to the school, the grade school, there is another old line denominal church. And just lately, there is a new, what I call wannabe franchise church that has started renting the school so they go between the two churches and go up there. And they put a sign right out here in front by the highway pointing the way to it. I, if I wasn't afraid that I would sound ugly, I would name some church names. I am sick and tired of franchise churches stealing the hearts of people and deluding them with a pseudo-spiritual feel-good theology that does not change their lives, but blinds them to the fact that the devil is making them twofold more a child of hell. And so uh, I'm just being real honest with you this morning. And so I prayed about this, and I prayed against some of this stuff. And I was asking God, and I, I'm, this is what I'm after. I'm after the revealed, manifest power of God. I say that because we in this church, you are wonderful people, and this is not a condemnation, but everywhere I go and in my own life, we get an emotion, we get a high, we shout, we are touched, we are emotionally affected by the power of God, and we walk back out, and the devil gets in our homes, and the devil gets in our heads, and we lie, and we hate, and we are bound, and we live after the flesh, and we do things that the Bible says is wrong if you'll allow me I don't even like to be personal but, but even in my own family right now I'm seeing the devil wreak havoc uh, with some very very close family and the Bible says what God joined together let not men put asunder and the world and the church comes up with all reasons why we should. I'm going to tell you, there's a power to fix that problem. And I want it. And so I was just telling God about that. And you know what he said to me? He said, son, I am looking for a church that let me be God. I'm looking for a church that let me be God. I am Lord, but I can only be God as you know my word and as you know my faith. So I've come to call this wonderful group of people whose faith is known, whose worship is known across this district. I've called you to war. I've called you to spiritual battle because the only thing the devil responds to is a power greater than him. He never quits. There is a place in the, in, in the Old Testament where the Bible, one of the prophets talks about Snakes, and it uses one word called cockatrices or something. And I looked it up, and it has, it, it's a reference basically to the cobra. If you've ever seen anybody from India or Indonesia, uh, you can find little video clips all over YouTube. And they'll sit down. They, the one I was looking at the other day had four or five wicker, little, just little wicker baskets with a lid on it. And he would just squat down within a couple feet of them, well within striking distance. And he would bring that flute and he'd start playing that weird music that they do. And then he'd pull the lid off and this snake would start to rise up. And the snake would just sway. 
and within, within two feet radius of him, any one of them could have struck him. He had five of them going at one time. And while he would do it, he'd, he'd slap at them. And they'd just halfway strike at him. But they were charmed by his music. But ladies and gentlemen, you'll never charm the devil. Now, ladies and gentlemen, you'll never outsmart him. You'll never cut a deal with him. I, I see a, a little sticker on people's windows. I hope none of you have that. It has to do with paganism, and it talks about coexist. We can coexist with the dark world, with the mother earth, and the spirits of mother. No, you can't. The only way you're going to coexist is put your head on the, your foot on the devil's head and have some Holy Ghost power in your life. I am, um, <clears throat> I may not get it all covered. I'm appalled at where we are as a nation. The new Congress, it's the devil, see, he's come down among us and he's bolder. Uh, they, the new, the new uh, Congress is saying, we need more diversity. We've got too many Christians in Congress. They're saying, we need to update with the rest of the world. The Constitution, it's, it's passe. It's, a, it's outdated. It doesn't fit anymore. And they're saying, if you have a moral, personal conviction that runs counter to the agenda of the progressive, the LGBTQ, whatever it is, and your conviction runs counter to their agenda, you have to submit in the name of freedom for all men. You have to bow to that. I'm here to tell you that you'll never cut a deal with the devil. But I want you to know there's a power that's in you and the Holy Ghost. If you have an understanding of the word of the Lord and the name of Jesus, I'm going to tell you how we got here. I'm going to tell you why we're here. We took the word out of the schools. We've taken that out of the home. I hate to say this, but I dare say there are people in this house, you haven't picked up a Bible all week. I'm not knocking iPads. I just like my Bible. <laughs> and so I have to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. I want to tell you about my Bible. This Bible is a Nelson Open Bible edition. Last, it's been a year ago now, Alicia and I got to go to Destin, Florida. And... Um, <clears throat> It wasn't real warm. Uh, first of all, you can't go to Florida without getting your feet in the ocean. I mean, it was cold. But after, after your feet go numb, it's not too bad. But, but, but we walked some of the ocean. But because there's not a lot of other things to do, we go to Goodwill. And the reason we go to Goodwill is because there's a lot of people dying down there. And you can get some really cool stuff. I, I, I like books, and I, while, while my wife was looking for that antique whatever of super value, I guess that's what she was doing, I was looking at books. I found this Bible. This Bible, this Nelson Bible is out of print. If you could find it, it cost you upwards from $65 to $100. They had it on sale for $3.00. And 99 cents. Now, 
you can't, you, you can't pass that up. So I bought this Bible. I took it back to our hotel room. And I opened this Bible up. And uh, it has a name on it. If your name is Maria, I marked it out because it's put my name in it. <laughs> but this Bible was given to Maria Dobbs for Christmas in 1980. I opened the Bible up and there's a little press boutonniere in it. I opened it up and there is, I'll not pull it all the way out, but there's, there's a little handmade Bible marker by some Sunday school class. And there was a nice $2 bill. I have $1.99 in my Bible. But what tore me up is I began to open Maria's Bible. And there are places where she's marked. And there are some markings that are clear, crisp handwriting. Maria had it for a few years. I don't know her. I don't know her family. I don't know whether she were, I don't know if she fully knew the Lord. But I can tell you she loved God and she loved her Bible. And there are markings, and then you'll see other places where the handwriting starts to get a little weak and it's scriggly and the underlining is not crisp. And she underlines places about uh, God being with you when you're facing death. God being with you when nobody understands. And that the Lord gives us a hope of eternal life. And you know what tore me up? I started crying. When Maria died, her family or whoever was her caregiver, whoever inherited her stuff, didn't value her Bible enough to open it up and find a $2 bill or a little boutonniere that had special meaning or a, little, or a little Bible marker. Just didn't care. Ladies and gentlemen, in that hotel room, I made a promise to God and for the whole of last year, everywhere I go, the first time that I come to that pulpit, I tell people about Maria's Bible because I want her to know if she has any way of knowing. I want her to know there's some people that still love the Word of God. And that there's still somebody that loves to open it up. And still somebody that loves to just embrace it and walk back and forth praying and loving the Word of God. Now, don't have a lot of time left, but I want to talk to you. I want to take you to 1 Samuel chapter 3, and you know the story of Samuel. When, when Samuel was, uh, when he was born, it was because his mama had such burden. She couldn't have a child, and she was married to Elkanah, and he had a wife named Penana uh, and then Hannah. Penana had, she had a number of kids, and, and, and she just couldn't help digging it in. If you really were right with God, he had opened your womb, and you, that's a sign of favor with God, and not being able to, that's a sign of disfavor. And it just grated out. 
at her and graded at her. There wasn't anything she could do. And she would go, they would go every year. They'd go up to Shiloh because the temple, a, a, a tabernacle had been built in a building there. And the Ark of the Covenant was there. And the altar, the, the, the altar of sacrifice was there. And the offering that they would make was taken from a little, Leviticus 7. It was the peace offering. It was an offering that were they uh, of rejoicing, of favor. And they would offer it to God. And they would put it in a kettle, a vat, or whatever, depending on the size. And they would stew it with water first. And the priest was Eli. And Eli had two sons. The Bible calls them sons of Belial. And the Bible says uh, 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 something like this. The Bible says, and the word of God was precious in those days. There was no open vision. I don't have time to cover it all, but I'm going to tell you, if you don't know what the Bible says, and if you don't live your life by what the Bible says, the only thing you've got to guide you is a conscience, and your conscience is shaped by society around you. My oldest daughter first went to UCA. We walked across campus, and there were some boys just idly using words that made my blood boil. I, I just wanted to thump some heads because they were publicly using filthy words that, to my knowledge, my daughter had never heard in her life, certainly not around Dad. But you can't thumb through the news on your iPhone without getting the F-bomb and all kinds of filthy words because society has deemed it acceptable now. And I promise you more than you think you know and more than you know and more than you think you are, your values are shaped by society around you. And if you don't have a knowledge of the Word of God in power in your life, ladies and gentlemen, doctrine won't mean much to you. But the Bible says that Eli's sons, when the people would come to offer sacrifice, they would, uh, uh, they would say, hey, because it, this, uh, the peace offering was that when the, when the meat was sodden, the priest had, had a, a, a hook called a thresh hook. It had three tongs on it. And they were to dip it into the, uh, the meat and pick up everything that, didn't, that, that stayed with the hook. Uh, that was theirs to eat. And then they had to take the fat and they offer it on the burnt offering because that smell was to go up to God. And Eli's sons would say, hey, I, 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 that looks good. I want that. And they'd say, oh, please, wait. Wait, wait. And, and, uh, and Eli's sons would say, no, you give it to me now or I'll take it by force. And the Bible said they, they fornicated right on the doorsteps of the house of God. And, and it was so that the Bible says the offering to the Lord was abhorred. It became abhorrent to man. It was just, just filthy. On this day, Hannah wept, and Eli thought she was drunk. And he, he rebuked her, and she said, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not. I've just got to have something. I've got to get a hold of something from God. I've got to have a power. I've got to have something change. I need God. I need something only God can do. Eli said, okay, go your way. God will give it to you. And she believed the word not the guy that spoke it was the value. It was the word that was spoken. 
And of course, Samuel was born, and the Bible says he went back. And then the next verses is where it says, and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. And the Bible says about Samuel that night that God spoke to him, but he kept going to Eli. And Eli said, go back, son. If you hear the voice again, just say, here I am, Lord, speak. And the Bible says in the verses around that, it said, Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Neither was the word of the Lord revealed. And there was not much spiritual light is what it's saying. The word was precious. The, the, the spiritual light was dim because there was an absence of the word of God. The reason America is in the shape it is today and there is spiritual darkness everywhere is because the one body that God put upon this earth to resist the devil is the church of the living God. This church is your lifeboat. This church is your lifeline. This church is your salvation. It's worth more than any money you might have in the bank. And the Bible says, and the Lord was with Samuel and did let none of his words fall to the ground. And the Lord was revealed again in Israel by the word of the Lord. And everybody knew that Samuel was established. Now, I've got just a few minutes, folks, and I want to be obedient. But I'm going to tell you, I said to you a while ago, the Scripture said, God has spoken once, twice have I heard that power belongs to God. God rules the nations by His power. I talked about four dimensions of power. I want to talk a little bit about this power. I want to tell you, a few Sundays ago, we were in a, in a service. It was a home missions church in the St. Louis area. And we were preaching, and there was, there was a, a, a deaf girl that was there. She could, she could not really hear much at all, but she was real good at reading lips, and she could converse back to you. And she wanted the Holy Ghost. And she was um, early teens. I don't remember exactly. But um, when we began to pray, I, I, I tried to talk to her, and she we looked past me at the interpreter that was signing to her. And uh, she would nod. And I, I'd say something. I said, hon, I'm going to tell you something. God wants to fill you with the Holy Ghost. And uh, I'm going to lay my hands on you. And when I do, the Holy Ghost is going to come on you. You understand that? She looked past me. And when she got it, she nodded her head. And I laid my hands on her. And we gathered around. And we began to pray. And after a few minutes' time, this little deaf girl began to speak out with other tongues and the joy of the Lord came over her. Her caregiver, the, the interpreter that was there with her, she said to me, she said, sir, you have no idea what just happened in this little girl. She said she has no mama and she was raised by a grandmother that was very strict and, and, and really didn't want to be bothered but just doing what's right because it's right. And it was a little tough and this little girl when she was about 12 years old ran away from home and somebody in this area got her and they trafficked her up to New Jersey and for over six months this 12, this 13-year-old kid has worked the streets as a prostitute. And the stories that she told a little bit were just horrible beyond description. Horrible beyond description. And she said, this girl's psyche was so warped, she didn't believe there was a God. She didn't believe anybody could ever love her, that she could ever be worthy of it. But somehow, 
It was not with some well-rehearsed psychiatric approach. There is a power to heal your body. There is a power to break your addiction. There is a power to heal your marriage. There is a power to redeem you. God is looking for a church that let him be God. Now, I, I love you all, and you all have loved me, uh, loved my wife and me. Every time we come here, you have just opened your arms and loved us, and I thank you for that. Uh, you, you, I, I, you are a reflection of the love of your pastors and family, and, and that's such a beautiful thing. But I'm going to tell you what God called me to this pulpit for on this Sunday morning is to tell you that your victory is not going to be in your song and dance. Your victory is not going to be on how loud you can sing, and I love the singing, we, and it's wonderful. Don't quit. Don't quit. But your victory is going to come when you understand the authority that's given you through the word of God and that if it's in this book you can claim it it was in uh, September the 9th 1943 and I'm, I'm closing it was in a little Bible school a guy named Reese Harrell had a Bible school in Wales World War II was raging the Nazis had overrun much of, much of Europe and uh, they were camped around Serrano, Italy. And uh, it, was, it was a deciding factor in the war. It wasn't a large Bible school. I, I, I'm, I get the impression maybe 25, 30 students. They lived in strict conditions and poverty. But he walked in about 9.30 on that night. And he said to his students, he said, I feel like that the Holy Ghost has told me that this is very crucial. And if we don't pray, the allies are going to suffer a major defeat uh, in this battle. And we've got to pray. And they said a spirit of intercession fell over that Bible school. And they went from about 9.30 to about 11-something just in real intercessory prayer. About 11.15, out of nowhere, one of them broke out in, in just in praise and tongues. And, and, and then it just swept over them. And just a, a powerful explosion of prayer. The morning paper the next morning said for some unknown reason that they never found out, the Nazi guns fell silent at 11 o'clock. And the Allies turned the battle. And Italy was saved because there is a power that belongs to God. Do you hear me? It's not some, uh, some just some ideology that we have. We are the express power of God on the earth. We have a, we, we had, I couldn't find it lately. We have a book, a non-Christian book called First We Have Coffee. And it's good title, but but this woman is writing a memoir of her childhood and her mama, 
And her mama was a strong, godly woman. And every time there was an issue, she'd say, well, before we do anything, we're going to sit and have coffee and we'll talk about it. But she told the story. She said, my dad was an evangelist. He was from uh, 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 Norway, Norwegian. He was a Norwegian Baptist. And he said he was in the States, loaded my family up. They were going up through Canada to hold a revival. And she wrote this in her book. And she said, we didn't have any money, just a little gas money, and mom packed sandwiches. We didn't know exactly how far it was, but it was kind of a remote area. And she said, my dad had driven all day, and, and we had used up all the gas and just what little money he had. He put more gas in the tank, and the kids, we were, oh, we were starving, hungry. And he, he began to pray, and he said, God, you got to help me, and, you know, and and he said, up in the distance, they'd gone for miles and not seen a light, a house anywhere. Up in the distance, he saw a light. And he turned the car in. And went knocked on the door. And there was a, a, a Chinaman, an Asian man, came to the door and he smiled and spoke good English. And this pastor, this evangelist said, sir, we are on our way to such and such place to hold a revival. And uh, uh, I'm, I don't have any money and my kids are hungry. If you'd be so kind just to give us some food, I promise you, sir, when the revival is over and we come back through here, I will pay you everything. And, and the Chinaman, he said, oh, no problem, no problem, no problem. And so he invited him in. He sat down and he just cooked up. And in her words, it was the most wonderful meal I could ever remember as a child. After they were full and they got gas, they drove on through the night and came to the place where they were going to preach the revival. And that revival lasted a couple of weeks. She didn't talk much about the revival. But she did say that on the way back through, when they started nearing that, that area of the country, he started looking for familiar signs and, and for that house. And, and couldn't find that house. And so uh, I'm not being familiar with there. He stopped and he asked somebody and he said, I, I need to find this such and such a house. They scratched their heads. She said, and he said, you know, the one we're, we're with the porch is like such and such, and the lane goes up, and uh, where, where the Chinaman lives. And the person talking to him said, sir, there is no house like that in this country, and there never has been a Chinaman in these parts. But power belongs to God. Ladies and gentlemen, this building is absolutely full of the Holy Ghost. You feel what I feel? I'm telling you, I feel doodads all the way. <laughs> this building is absolutely, I don't know what you need from God. But I know one thing, this church has yet to see the day of the power that God wants to because he's looking for a church that let him be God. I've gone a little bit over. Stand with me, please. I would that you would lay aside any of your doubt, and I wish you'd lift your hands and for just a moment. I wish you'd give God the best praise, the best worship. For you, Allah,